Hi, welcome to the Cork Church Podcast. We're very glad you're joining us today and we hope this message inspires you, builds your faith and encourages you in the things of God. Enjoy the message. I just want to jump into the Word tonight, just share something that the Holy Spirit has been putting on my heart, uh, and it's been times of corporate worship uh, that, that the Holy Spirit has just been speaking something to my heart, and He's developing it in my heart, and um, He's doing something there um, and deepening my love for the body of Christ, my awareness for my need for the body of Christ, and uh, seeing that as one of the graces that God has put in my life. Uh, that, and, uh, you know, we'll talk a little bit about this later, but, you know, the reformers believed that, you know, they believed in graces, common graces that God puts into your life as a Christian to help you. And uh, one of those things is the body. It's the church. It's the, the people of God. And so we're going to look at that tonight. We're going to look at 2 Corinthians 12, 5 through 10, a very familiar passage of Scripture. And uh, before we read this portion of Scripture, you're going to know what it is immediately, uh, but it's one of those places that we tend to go to, maybe like Psalm 23, Romans 8, 28. It's one of those places that we tend to go to when we're facing difficulty or pain or opposition, some form of opposition. Um, And we all have those places that we go to in Scripture. We all have those perches, you know, those clefts in the rock that we tend to hide in uh, when the storms pass over and when they come into our lives, uh, you know, those favorite promises, those favorite things that minister to our hearts. And this is surely one of them. Uh, so this, this verse tonight, as we would say in the South, it's a favorite haunt, a, a favorite haunt for the hurting. It's a place where people go to receive strength and to re- receive encouragement. So just, we're going to read this in Second Corinthians chapter 12, verses 2, all the way down to verses 10, to verse 10. So if you'll open your word with me there, whatever, if you have a device or if you have a, an actual physical Bible um, in your hand, open that up and let's, let's read this together. And this is Paul speaking uh, to the Corinthian church. He says, I know a man... In Christ, 14 years ago, whether he's in the body, I don't know, or whether he's out of the body, I don't know. God knows. Such a one got caught up even into the third heaven. And I know such a man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I don't know, but God knows. How that he was caught up into paradise and he heard unspeakable words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. On behalf of such one, I will glory. But on my own behalf, I will not glory, save in my weaknesses. For, I should, for if I should desire to glory, I shall not be foolish, for I shall speak the truth. But I forbear, lest any man should account of me above that which he see, seeth me to be, or hears from me. And by reason of the exceeding greatness of the revelations, that I should not be exalted over much, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh." a messenger of Satan to buffet me, that I should not be exalted over much. Concerning this thing, I sought the Lord three times, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my weaknesses, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. 
Wherefore I take pleasure in weaknesses, in injuries, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I'm weak, then am I strong. Tonight I want to focus on the words of Christ to Paul. They're, if you have a red letter edition, they're actually written in red because Paul says Jesus spoke this to him. Um, and it's interesting, as I was just reading a little bit about this, um, there, there are Bible theologians that they, uh, the way that the Greek works there, they believe that it was a whisper, a still small voice that spoke to Paul, but it was the voice of Christ that he knew. And Jesus speaks to Paul. And uh, we want to we look at these five words of comfort. My grace is sufficient for you. Let's pray. Father, we love you for your word. We thank you that you've filled our life full of graces. You've filled our lives full of opportunities to experience your power, your resurrection power that is towards us, your, your covenants that you've made with your Father, your, your strength that you give to us when we're weak, your promises that you make to us. You've given us graces in our lives whereby we can access and grow and be strengthened. And Father, tonight I pray as we go through your word that you would begin to move in our hearts in a very special way as a church, as a people, as image bearers of, of Christ and image bearers of grace, trophies of grace. Lord, help us to, to find sufficiency in your grace and in you and in the measures of grace that you've given us in so many different ways. Bless us tonight, Lord. We love you. We want to worship you, and we want to hear from you in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. And there's some things around this passage that I just want to look at before we consider the words of Christ, because I think it's important that we understand the weight of these words and the reason why Christ comes and speaks to Paul uh, when he's going through this very real suffering, this very real time of trial. Uh, the first thing I want to say is that Paul, at this point when Christ speaks to him and he hears the voice of Christ, this whisper of Christ, Paul is at the convergence of some pretty powerful forces in his life. Some things are converging on his life at this moment. It's almost like the perfect storm if you look into what he's saying here and you dig a little bit deeper and you look behind and peel away kind of what is, is there on the surface, you, you've got some things that are happening. Firstly, you've got this powerful heavenly vision with, with great revelation that is life-altering. So you've got God invading Paul's life and taking him to a place. I mean, you've got the, the ultimate one, the, the ultimate being uh, of the universe of what is coming into his life and converging in his life and speaking things to him that Paul says they're not lawful. Now that word lawful doesn't mean that it was against the law. It just meant it was against the laws of grammar. He, in essence, he said, I don't have the, the, the capacity, even with the Greek, as, as wonderful as the Greek is, it goes beyond the laws of grammar. I can't even speak these things to you. There aren't words to describe what I saw. There's, there's, I, I don't have it in my vocabulary. It, I, I don't have it. And so Paul is saying, you know, that these, this, this powerful vision that was life-altering, God chose 
to bring him into this. And you see this in 12 verse four, how that he was caught up into paradise. Now Paul is speaking of himself. He heard unspeakable words that are not lawful for men to, or, to, to utter. And Paul says, I was caught up to heaven. I saw unspeakable things. And Paul saw something that would forever change him. Uh, and, and many people that teach the word, that, that are studious of the word, believe that a lot of Paul's theology was shaped by this experience, that God gave him a revelation of new covenant, gave him a revelation of heaven, gave him a revelation of the body of Christ, gave him a revelation of things you can read in Ephesians if you want to later in Colossians, things that the other apostles hadn't seen and didn't really understand. Peter said, Paul says things that I don't even understand. And I walked with Jesus. I sat under his ministry. And this guy, has God has shown him some things. And so that was the vessel that Paul was. Paul was a chosen vessel to receive a revelation, to communicate that to the body and to bring them into the understanding of the gospel, right? That was what he was chosen for. And it was glorious. It was wonderful, he says. It, it, was a, it was a powerful experience that moved him, that moved him dramatically, and it was full of life. It was full of love, and uh, it was really one of those things that we, we say in, in the Christian faith we describe as a mountaintop experience, taken from the experience that Moses had on the mountain with God. There was this overwhelming exposure to who God is, and he was exposed to things that were, that, that, that no man had seen and God had revealed it to him. And you have heaven converging on this man's life in a powerful way. So you've got this over here. Uh, you know, this is, this is titanic. This is amazing. This is powerful. And, and secondly, you've got this introduction of personal pain and misery coming into his life. So you've got this great convergence of heaven and then in his physical or whatever was happening in Paul's life, no one really knows, and thank goodness we don't. We can only speculate. But Paul says that there was something very significant happening to him that caused a great deal of pain. Just after this great experience, just after this great revelation, Paul says, a thorn was given to me. Now, I've heard preachers preach on this, but when you study the Greek, uh, some people use an analogy of a, of a thorn on a rose and it gets stuck under the skin. That is not at all what Paul is saying. The word is actually stake, uh, like a wooden stake, uh, you know, that they kill vampires with, that kind of thing. So, and it's an impaling. It's something that is very hurtful. It's something that's very significant. This wasn't just a thorn in Paul's thumb. This was an impaling of something in his life that was debilitating. It was hurtful. And it drove him to prayer. That's what the word says. Paul says that here. This thorn was, is, is actually something very significant. And this is why, uh, you know, as Christians, we should not think it unusual or strange when we're visited by thorns, when we're visited by these things and difficulties, even after some of the greatest blessings in our life can oftentimes be the most greatest times of trial can be the greatest times of discouragement, can be some, you can, you can face these seasons uh, because you are being favored by God. 
You can, you can face these seasons because God is doing something and moving magnanimously in your life. You can face these times on the back of great times with God. Thirdly, not only that, so you've got this great revelation, you've got this intense battle in his body, whatever was happening. And then thirdly, you've got this demonic messenger that's sent to him with a debilitating message from hell. So you've got God's revelation, you've got this impaling, and then you've got this messenger from hell that's sitting on his back and he's breathing this, these hellish lies into this man's heart. So, so this, to, the, to the measure of the revelation that, that of truth that he had received, hell counters God's move. It's like a chess match. Hell counters God's move and moves in with this flood of lies, this messenger from hell. And we don't know what those lies were, but I can tell you if the devil's speaking, he only speaks that which he knows, which is lies. That's why he's the father of lies. So if there's a messenger from hell speaking into Paul's life, you better believe it's not the truth, amen? You better believe he's filling his mind and trying to counter what God has done. And this is what Jesus said. When the seed is sown, what happens? The birds start flying. The enemy comes to take and to pluck out what God has spoken, right? But, and, and that's going on in his life. And lastly, if it, that isn't bad enough, his own pride and arrogance, he says, are laying at the door waiting for an opportunity to rise up. So now he has to deal with his own heart. He's got to deal with his own flesh. So he's got this great revelation, great time in the Lord, this storm, whatever it is, could be his eyesight, could be physical, whatever it is, I don't know. He's got the enemy working on him. And then he's also dealing with his own heart. He's dealing with his own heart. Look at what Paul says, verse 7. Paul says, lest I should be exalted above measure that was given to me this storm. Another translation says this, to stop me from being conceited. To stop me from being conceited. What does that mean? He's a, here's a man that knows his own heart. Here's a man that, that can say unashamedly and, and just honestly, in my flesh dwells no good thing. I know my own heart apart from Christ. He's very honest about his own condition. Read Romans 7. But he knows the deceitfulness of his own heart. He knows how his flesh can be. He, and, 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 and that it was able to take something so wonderful, so life-changing, so powerful, so godly, so Christ-centered, and make it all about him. That's what Paul says. He says, God had to step in because he gave me a great revelation. The enemy hated it, and my flesh loved it. And my flesh wanted to take it as an opportunity to run with it and make it about me and my ministry. That's what he says. And, and I can only imagine, he must have already been hearing that inner voice coming. And, and if you know your own heart, you know that this rings true. Man, I bet Peter and the others haven't seen anything that I've seen. I'm going to blow them all away with what God has shown me here. You know, he's already thinking that. Man, th those guys think they got a revelation. Where do they hear this? You know, he's, he's got that, and it's in all of us. It's in all of us. That's the, that's the downward pull. That's the nature that we contend with. And it goes to show you that you can come from the most spiritually moving time, the most anointed time, the most blessed time, the most awe-inspiring times, and none of that ever will take away from you and I 
a place that we don't need God's intervention and grace in your life on an ongoing basis. There's no revelation that is going to take you from being dependent on Christ wholly. There's no revelation. There's a, you are going to have to walk in dependence upon Christ and his keeping power. There's no truth that you can discover. There's nothing that you can read in that word that will ever take you from dependency. Matter of fact, truth is always pushing you towards a personal dependency upon Christ and his intervening grace in your life. It's always hedging you in that way. It's always pushing us that way. And Paul says, even this storm that was given me is an act of grace. That's an amazing thing. Paul looked at this through the eyes of Christ and said, I can see the hand of God allowing this to happen to me to keep me from being conceited. I can see God doing something in my life that is actually good for me, even in all of this pain. This storm hurts, but it's keeping me from a worse pain, right? This fire burns, but it's burning something out of me. It's not consuming me. It's hedging me in. Isn't that wonderful? So this is how he looks at his trial, that this trial that God has allowed, this, this storm that he's been given with the messenger, he says, God is hedging me in and keeping me. That's an amazing thing. I wish I could see life that way. I wish I could see life through that lens because I want to hold my hand up and I would say, I don't necessarily see life that way. But when you understand the grace of God and when you begin to understand the heart of God, you can begin to take things in life as Paul see them and see them viewed through the grace of God. And you can see this, really, this truth played out in Daniel with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The same fire that surrounded them actually protected them from the Babylonian armies and the Babylonian king. The fire that was burning around them was actually keeping them from hell's plan to destroy their lives. It's an amazing thing that God can use our fires. He can use our disappointments to protect us and to keep us and to perfect us and keep and put us in a place where we are it may be painful now but in the end in the very end of it we will be joyful in the end fire served the christian to protect us and keep us and hedge us in a lot of the times maybe the fiery trial you're experiencing is keeping you and you don't even know it Maybe it's keeping you and you don't even know it. You might be weak, you might be hurting, you might feel empty, but here you are, you're in God's house or you're listening online, you're in God's presence and you're still on the journey. And God is hedging you up, God is hedging you in, and God is protecting you in the fire. The thorn was given as a protective measure. So here this man is, as we just move on, all of these things converging on his life, with a thorn impaling his life, with a messenger for hell on his back, and, and, and oh, again, you remember that Paul says, the care of all the churches come on me daily. So he's bearing the New Testament church that he helped to found all of the cares. He's getting letters from churches talking about division, getting letters from churches in Galatia that there's wolves coming in, getting letters from Corinth, getting letters from all over, people sending him, for, looking to him for answers. And he says, the care of the church is on my back daily. It's on my shoulders. And Christ tells him, in the midst of all of these things converging on his life, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. 
Jesus tells them that all of these things, as heavy as they are, can't outweigh the influence and power of my grace in your life. They may be weighty, but there's a, there's a weightier power on your side. Put them on a scale, Paul. Weigh them up. Put them there. None of it can outweigh my grace. There will be, Paul, in your personal life, a grace and strength that will tip the scales for your good in your life. Isn't that wonderful? And that's what, Paul, that's what Jesus is saying to Paul and I believe to us, that I'm going to tip the scales because I, I am gracing you. I am favoring you. Even though you don't deserve it, I'm going to tip the scales in your favor. I'm going to move things in your favor. I'm going to be gracious to you. And you can see all this weight on this man bearing down on him. Then Jesus puts his hand on this man's shoulder and the burden lifts. Isn't that amazing? Just a small word lifts this heavy burden. That's a powerful thought. That his grace comes and, and, hold, and holds him up. And this is a wonderful promise to Paul, to us. And, and Jesus makes this promise this, that this grace is going to work so powerfully in your life that it will perfect you. Isn't that wonderful? Paul says, and, and that's what Jesus said, my strength is going to be made perfect. I'm going to perfect you in this. Grace is, is going to work in your life to perfect you, to work things into your life and out of your life and, and through your life. And, and Paul, this is what Jesus is saying. You're going to find me working in this, Paul, and you will find a perfecting happening in your life. That's what Jesus says. Now, what does grace look like? I, and, and I mentioned it just a little bit there. You know, the, the reformers believed in graces that God gives, and we'll, we'll get into one of them tonight because I want to focus on that tonight. But there's many graces. There's many things that God puts in our life. So, so. We're going we're gonna to look at that. But what does this mean? What is this sufficient grace that Jesus will give you and me when we need it? And, and you see right now in your life, in my life, whether you recognize it or not, whether I see it or not, there is sufficient grace. Whether you see it or not, whether I realize it or not, there is sufficient grace in your life. Think about that just a moment. There is sufficient grace for you. God has put in your life the undergirding, reliable, unfailing, never-ending supply of grace. You can't exhaust it. You can't reach its borders. You can't dig deep enough, hurt bad enough, run out of, of God's deep reservoir of grace towards you. You just can't do it. It's inexhaustible. If you had a million lifetimes to live, you would never exhaust God's grace to you. You can't exhaust it. You can't fail your way out of it. You can't push your way out of it. You can't run beyond it. There's a grace and a favor that is eternally given to you. It surrounds you every second. It surrounds me every second, every minute, every hour of every day. Every time you take a breath, it is upon you and isn't something that you shake off. This isn't something that you, 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 you know, uh, you, you give back. 
you know, this isn't something like the prodigal son that you take and go and squander, and, and that's it, you're out of it. This is something that God just continues to give to you. Now, that's no excuse for, for living a life like that, but it is the reality that this grace, that's why that story was so powerful, because there was grace upon his return. This grace is not just a word that means God's favor. It's much more than that. It means Christ's forgiveness. It means his acceptance. It's his, I like this one, his unmerited enabling and active presence in my life. So it's not just a word that we say or, or a sentiment or a thought. It's a power. It's an enabling. It's an active presence in your life right now. There is a grace in you that is active, that is present, that Paul says is resurrection power towards you. That's what he says in Ephesians, that the power of resurrection working towards you, all of that locked up inside of you, moving on your behalf. That's what the Bible says. It's God's favor moving and active so in a, in a sense it's not just a descriptive term of acceptance or forgiveness it's an actual verb that there's a grace there is a power that is moving in my life apart from me it's an act of jesus described it as 11 that that god deposits into us and it moves things in our lives it moves things out of our lives it pushes and it presses and it's moving it isn't passive. It's forceful and it's powerful. When Paul thought of grace, it was never in the context of God just favoring you, right? When we, when we talk about Pauline grace, when you talk about this in the context of Paul's life and the revelation that Paul received from Christ and what he knew to be true of the gospel, it was more than just this, this idea that God was going to favor you and bless you. It was way, way, way more than that. It was God coming in and rescuing you apart from your own abilities and your own merits. It was God bursting on the scene. It was a savior coming. It was, it was something that was radical. It was this power and, and this passion in the heart of God to go and redeem humanity, to, to push past barriers, to, to not let sin be a reason to keep men and women from knowing who God is, pushing through all of that. It was a force. Jesus was a powerful force to be reckoned with when he lived on this planet. You read the life of Christ, and it was, he was not a passive person. He was pushing. As Pastor Nick talked about on Sunday, he was walking through the land, and wherever he went, he carried this power that delivered, this power that rescued. It triumphed over hell. It triumphed over sin. It triumphed over the grave. It trampled every enemy. It broke every barrier. It pushed through and passed every reason there was for me to be destroyed by my love for sinning. It pushed past all of that. And it says, I'm going to save you in spite of yourself. I'm going to come in and I'm going to break the power of sin in your life. Why? Because I'm gracious and because I'm good and because I love. That's what grace was in Paul's life. And that's what he believed. And it, it, it breaks into our heart and it changes us. It raises us from the grave. 
When I had no power to change, it broke my allegiance to sin and love for sin and gave me a love for good things and for God. That's what God says. He says in this new covenant, I will break your covenant with death. He didn't say you will break it. He said, I'll come in and I'll eradicate this covenant that is holding you. This tie that you have to sin, this affiliation, this love that you have. I'm going to come in and I'm going to sever it. I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to raise you from the dead. I'm going to speak to the valley of the dry bones. I'm going to cause flesh to come on you and send you. I'm going to breathe a breath into you. I'm going to raise you up. That's grace. So understand when Paul is talking about grace here, he understood this meant something to this man when, when, when Jesus spoke to him. He encountered that. He encountered that in his life. It was, that, it was how Jesus came to rescue him. His first time he really met Jesus was on the road to Damascus. And it was a rescue mission. Jesus came and knocked him to the ground without Paul bidding or asking. He came and he rescued him from the burning fires of hell. And he intercepted that man on his journey towards perdition and destruction. That's what grace was to this man. It was, the, it was the power of Christ being revealed and destroying the works of darkness. And Paul understood also that it was, it was not only just him beginning that work and continuing it, but it was a completion of that work. So grace began it, and, and it's the power of God towards us effectually working in us apart from our own abilities, but it's also God completing a work in our lives. It's the grace of God that began it. It's the grace of God that continues it, and it will be the grace of God that you and I, when we're laid to rest, that we are resurrected and brought to life again. It is the grace of God. You read it in Zechariah. The headstone, the, 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 the cornerstone and the headstone will begin in grace and it will end in grace. And we will all stand. If you are born again, you will stand in eternity and you will say, God, you came without me asking and you intercepted my soul on this journey towards perdition and darkness and you rescued me out of the clutches of darkness and you translated me from darkness into light. All glory belongs to you. All honor belongs to you. It was your effectual grace. It was your movement towards me. And this is what Paul was speaking of here. So I just want to put that into context. So Paul is saying here, when he, when he speaks about grace, it's something powerful. And, and all of these things that I just described to you are pictures of sufficient grace. All of these things are part of it. I want to expand your thinking on grace tonight, because if, 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 it's expanding my understanding of grace as I, as I read Scripture and as I journey in the body of Christ. And as, as I walk with him, I see that God has invested a lot into us. Not only just the cross, not only just a wonderful Savior, not only just eternity, not even just the Holy Spirit and an eternity in heaven with him. Not, not all of these wonderful things that I just described to you, but God has invested into you some wonderful things and put some things in your life that will cause you to see, wait, wait, wait a minute. There is sufficient grace for me. There, there is something that God has, some things that God has put in my life to help my faith. 
to help my journey. And, and I need to start allowing them to, to move in my life more so I don't frustrate the grace of God, so I don't stand in its way. I want that power to be released in me. I want to experience more of it. You, you know, when you, when you, because when you read that, when you read Jesus said, my grace is sufficient for you, you could leave that there and you could think, wow, all Paul needed was this deep encounter with Christ all alone. That's all he needed. That, that if I can just have that encounter with Jesus alone, it's really all I need. But that's only a portion of the picture. And I want to show you tonight what I mean by that. You see, Paul wasn't just left alone with these private encounters with Christ that sustained him. It wasn't just the word that Paul got and going through the word and the revelation and all of that. And that's wonderful. Those are graces that God has given you. That Bible that you have is a grace. It came through a lot of sacrifice, a lot of blood, a lot of men gave their lives so you could have that and read it freely, right? It's a grace. It's been tried. It's been tested. It's passed through the fire, the waters of death, and it's resurrected. We have the freedom, and that's a grace to you. That Bible and all of its translations and all the helps, the study helps, it's a grace to all of us. But it's not enough, and God knows that. It, 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 it's not enough in the sense that God wants to display his grace in multifaceted ways in our lives. I like that message that Pastor Nick preached about the multifaceted nature of God's grace, the multicolored coat like Joseph's coat. There are many facets of grace. Because, you know, you, you could think that and you could think, wow, Paul was just this great man of faith and all he needed was that encounter and but I want to tell you tonight that Jesus showed up more than a couple of times in bodily form to Paul. And what I mean, I'm not talking about a Christophany where Jesus shows up. I'm talking about him coming and revealing himself in bodily form. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, 26. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of who? Of Christ. And individually members of it. And he says no, no member is separate from a body. Like a finger or a hand on the floor. It's dead without the body. He says God has put you in a body. God is, God is and he reveals himself through that body to, to us. So, so this sufficient grace that Paul received was more than just Christ's spiritual presence and blessings. It was comfort and refreshing that came through his body through the church. And I'm going to show you in just a moment what I mean by that. You see, there's nobody, not even Paul, with, with all of his revelation, with all of the, the, the powerful truths that he knew, the Holy Spirit working in his life, there's nobody... Even a man as great as him that's an island. Nobody. I don't care who you are, how spiritual you are, or, or your idea of spirituality. We have to rework our idea of spirituality and see that true spirituality includes a very real body. And you cannot be a truly spiritual person without being part of the body. The Bible is very clear about that. So God has put you in a body, and in that body, he provides sufficient grace. It's part of it. It's not the whole of it, but it is part of it. 
Just like that revelation and everything that Paul received was part of it, but it wasn't the whole. It all goes together. It all works. You need encounters with Christ. You need personal time with him, but you also need to be around God's people. You need to be able to come into this place and receive strength. You need to be able to be joined in this body because he is joined to this body. God never left Paul all alone. He put people in his life that held him up, that loved him, that tended to him. I think about Luke the physician. He had a traveling doctor that went with him everywhere he went because he was afflicted. He was stoned. He was beaten. He needed constant physical help. You know, they talked about, they talk about Paul's eyesight was very, very poor, that he must be, most likely had to be led around, and that his body was so broken, he needed to have someone help him walk and get from point A to point B. This was not a man who was well in body, and so God put a Luke in his life. Luke was a sufficient grace to Paul. Luke was a sufficient grace. My grace is sufficient for you, Paul. My, my strength will be perfected in your weakness. How are you going to do that? Oh, I'm going to put a man beside you named Luke. He's going to take care of you. He's going to tend to you. He's going to, and, and, and he's going to get other people to help you write your letters. He's going to be there for you when, when nobody else is there. Yes, he had a fire of grace in his life, but that flame was bolstered by loving friends and members of the body. Look at what Paul says of, of Onesiphorus as he was facing his thorny moments. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Timothy 1.15. We're going to close in just a moment. Listen to what Paul says. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me. Everybody's turned their back on me, Timothy. Among whom was Phagellus, and Hermogenes, verse 16. But listen to what he says. So this is during all of this time. Paul's going through his thorny situations. He's going through his trials. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Anesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. Listen to what he says. But when he got to Rome, he searched for me earnestly, and he found me. My grace will be sufficient, Paul. What, you're just going to meet me in the prayer closet and in worship? And No, I'm going to sit in a Nesiphorus to you. And he's going to look for you. And he's going to go door knocking until he finds you so he can pour into you and he can refresh you and he can encourage you, Paul. He can lift you up. He can strengthen you. And my grace will be poured in and through this man into your life when you need it. When you need it the most. Even Paul, with all of his heavenly revelation, amazing miracles and answers to prayer, a powerful calling, in all of that, he still needed a friend. Isn't that wonderful? Hallelujah. I love what he says. When everyone turned on me, he came looking for me. He wouldn't stop till he found me in Rome. He didn't flinch at my chains. He wasn't ashamed of me. When he found me, he refreshed me. And there's a couple of other times that this happens in Paul's life. The Philippian church was a whole body that ministered to Paul's needs. Time and time again, you see in Paul's life, God sending people as a sufficient grace to him when he, didn't, when he knew he couldn't be alone. It wasn't enough just to get something in prayer. He needed to be with the body. He needed to be with people of like mind. He needed to hear. He needed to touch a human. He needed to feel the arms of a friend around him. He needed it. Even with all of the wonderful things that Paul knew about Christ, he still needed that human touch and friendship. 
And that's the promise, I believe, that, of Jesus to Paul. I'm going to put you with people that will be a grace to you. They will uphold you. They will strengthen you. They're going to refresh you. And I said it the other day in the service, but I, I want you to hear it again. You and I are a grace to each other. You and I are a grace to each other. We're part of the sufficient grace that Jesus gives us here on this earth. We are the only family that we really have. Some of us serving Christ has cost us friendships and family. And what we're left with is the family of Christ, the friendship of the body. And that's what Jesus has left behind. He said, when you, when you give up all those things, I'm going to put you in a family. You had one house before, now you're going to have hundreds. You're going to have a grace with one another that's going to be powerful. It's going to be sufficient. It's going to strengthen you in your times of need. We are a gift to seek out the hurting and the wounded when we are strong. So when we're strong, we're called and compelled by Christ to, to be like an Onesiphorus. Paul, do you need anything? Paul, what can I do for you? I'm strong right now. I might need you tomorrow, but today I'm strong and I'm coming to help you, Paul. God has sent, he's laid you on my heart. You don't know the times that I've gotten a letter in the mail from someone, didn't even know what I was going through, didn't even know how I felt like giving up, getting a letter. I remember getting a letter from a 12-year-old child when I was teaching in Bible school, and I said, Lord, I'm, I'm giving up. I'm not going to do it. I got a letter the same day in my heart. The pressure was on me, and this child wrote to me and said, Brother Hamp, I just want to write to you to tell you don't give up. Christ is with you. That was sufficient grace, working through a 12-year-old child. Listen to what Paul says in Galatians 6, as I get ready to close, verse 2. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. This idea that you and I are to be these lone towers of strength and solitude, they have no founding in the New Testament. This idea of the great man of power with all the answers, the great women of power, and strutting their stuff, and walking around and blowing on people, and don't need the strength of the, that is all foolishness, folks. It has nothing to do with Christ or the New Testament. We need the body. We need one another. I'm not an island. You're not an island. We need people to look in the eye, to cry with, to laugh with, to love with, to, to marry with, to bury with. We need each other. We are part of that plan of sufficient grace. We're part of this promise. My grace is sufficient for you. I've put you in a body that supplies healing and nourishment to each other. Vessels of grace and refreshment are in my house. And you and I need to know this. Because when you're weak, or when I'm weak, I can call on the body for help. When I'm strong, I can nourish the body in its weakness. We are called to both access this grace in the body and we're called to be part of that grace to someone in the body. And there are times in your life you're going to need to access it. And there's times in your life when you're going to be able to give it. But we're called into this dynamic with one another. Isn't it wonderful? I've got your back. You've got my back. Some people won't access the sufficient grace in the body for different reasons. But folks, there's a storehouse of grace in this house and we need to unlock it. We need to unleash it. We need to open up and begin to love one another. You know, we're put off by the fear of being vulnerable and weak in our time of need. And we've got to work on that. We've got to, to fight against that. 
We've got to put our foot. It, you know, the Bible says to be tender-hearted one towards another. That's what. The, that's that's the the real heart. We need to ask the Holy Spirit for love and patience and acceptance and care to be a house of sufficient grace for one another, a house of covering for each other, not a house of exposure, a house of care and love instead of indifference. And we need to further our reach in this house to those who need it. But listen to me. Those of us that are hurting need also to step out and take advantage of that grace. Don't suffer in silence. Don't let the devil isolate you from the sufficient grace that's in this body to help carry you. Amen? Start to learn to come out. Find someone that you can trust and talk to, to pray with and love on you. Let your burdens be known. Paul said it, bear you one another's burdens. I don't know about you. I'll need my time when I need an anesophorus, and I'll need, I'll need to be an anesophorus, but I want to step into that, amen? Hallelujah. I want to step into that by the grace of God and find a sufficiency maybe that I've not found before as we trust the Lord together, amen, and grow into that. God's strength will be perfected in this house as we begin to do that, as we begin to love and discern the body of Christ, love it and cherish it. We'll see the, 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 the grace of God move and strengthen us. Let's pray tonight. Would you stand with me? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I don't know about you, but I want to be an answer to somebody's prayer. I want to be on the other side of that pen writing a letter or on the other side of that phone calling someone or on the other side of an of a arm around the neck. I want to be that. I, I, I want the Lord to give me that heart and walk in that. But I also want to take advantage of grace that's here. I want to be vulnerable. I want to, I want to acknowledge that there are times I need someone to encourage me, and God's been faithful to do that. Let's pray. Father, we love you tonight, and we, and we thank you that there's sufficient grace there's sufficient grace. And part of that sufficiency is found in this house. There's a wellspring in this house. Hallelujah. There, there is a treasure house that we've not even unlocked yet. Because, because maybe we don't see ourselves that way. A lot of times it's just that. We don't see ourselves. We just see we're unworthy. We have nothing to offer. We, we don't. But Lord, we can give a cup of cold water. We can give a handshake. We can give a how are you. We can extend ourselves in ways, Lord, that when we do so can begin to unlock prison doors in people's lives that they can just begin to feel a little more cared for. They can begin to feel they're not in as much darkness anymore. They can begin to feel, Lord, like they're, that they're loved and they're accepted accepted. Holy Spirit, Lord, you said, is this not the facet I've chosen that you look after your family? And as you begin to do that, that you, that you begin to, as you begin to do that, the sunrise of, of light will begin to break forth, that we don't hide ourselves from our own flesh, of our own blood. Lord, help us to love one another in a powerful way, in a mighty way in this house, that we would have each other's backs, that we would cover one another.
even when we fail, even when we falter. Help us to have grace for one another and love for one another, to support our leadership, to support those that serve here, to support those that come in and out of our doors every week, Lord. Bind us together, Holy Spirit, in a powerful way, in a, in a significant way. Let our hearts be stirred to be an Onesiphorus, to be a Luke, hallelujah, to be a vessel of grace and refreshment to others, Lord. Lord, we love you tonight. We bless you tonight. Lord, let this be our prayer. Let this be done in us and through us. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. Folks, I don't know about you, but I'm on that journey, and I want to be that Onesiphorus for you, and I, there's going to be a time where I'm going to need it from you uh, backwards. So God bless you tonight. Take that word home with you. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you and, and just encourage you. God bless you, Court Church. Have a good night. Hallelujah. Thanks for tuning in with us today. I hope you were blessed. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Cork Church. Also, make sure to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you have any questions, you can email us info at corkchurch.com or just check out our website, www.corkchurch.com. Again, thanks for tuning in and see you next time. God bless.